This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And good morning, good afternoon. You are here live with Dr. Jeff Weber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, Pet Life Radio's live call-in show. When I hear from you, that's why it's a call-in show, appropriately named. So how to get a hold of me? Easy. First of all, you can give us a call, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. You can send me a quick text or a note to Dr. Jeff. That's Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. You can also, the best way is to join us live here on Google Hangouts. Here's how you do it. You go on to PetLifeRadio.com. You click on Shows. Scroll to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And if you scroll down a little bit, you'll see a box, and it's going to have a pretty long Google Hangout. You don't have to memorize the number. Just click on it, and it'll take you live here, preferably to have your pet with you. We can talk about anything you want to talk about. I have you know a couple of things I want to talk about today, but... You know what? I can change my mind. If you have something really interesting, a problem with one of your pets, a decision to make, you don't know what to do, how to make it, just to get some third-party unbiased input from a GP, which is very important because I think we talked about a couple of weeks ago that a philosophy of a general practitioner is a little bit different than a specialist. And uh, I love specialists and I use them all the time, but there's sometimes I argue with them as well. So if you have anything you want to talk about, now it's time to get a hold of me because it's free. And it's a Sunday. What else are you going to do? I mean, you can, yeah, of course, you can watch football, but you can also listen to me here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vest with Dr. Jeff. So a couple of things, just, you know, covering some of the American Veterinary Medical Association, Smart Brief, and American Animal Hospital Association news briefs. So this was an interesting story. Now, I know some dogs, and trust me, I have two of them that will eat anything that's not bolted down. It's like a cyanoacrylate. It bonds in seconds. It'll bond metal to metal. I mean, it's unbelievable. And uh, anyway, ate a whole bottle. So what happened was it started adhering and affecting the stomach wall. Because it was So anyway, surgically, the doctor had to go in, the veterinarian had to go in, open up the stomach, kind of almost turn it inside out, and start breaking away these hard pieces of dried Gorilla Glue, uh, which, of course, you know, ate away a little of the stomach as well. But uh, fortunately, surgery was successful. The dog is doing well. But the one thing just you have to know, if you have a dog like that, and I said, I do, you have to know one thing. This dog learned nothing, nothing from the incident. So if he or she likes to pick things up, we call it pica, the eating of inanimate objects, things that are not even food, not even remotely food, they will keep doing it because the negative, even if you felt lousy after the surgery, in no way does he now associate him having eaten the Gorilla Glue to the events that transpired four days later. So there's something we use sometimes in training. I don't love it, but it's done called aversion therapy. What is aversion therapy? You know, you know, like that stuff you spray in, a, like the stop bite or the chew guard or the bitter apple stuff. That's aversion therapy. You spray something, they taste it immediately. They hate it immediately. They know what it's like. In fact, I tell people that when you're going to use something like that, the best thing to do is not just spray it on, let's say, the bandage on their foot or the lesion on their foot. Spray some directly on their tongue. Yes, they're going to hate you, but it's okay. Because when they get it full strength, they really remember how lousy it tastes. So when, you know, remember, dog sense of smell is amazing. 
So now it's not just the taste, but it's a smell that they're going to remember. Now they go to that bandage where you sprayed it, you know, 10, 12 hours ago. Of course, a lot of the taste is dissipated. But once they sniff it, they go, ah, oh, <laughs> I'm not going there. And they will stay away from it. That's called aversion therapy. But if the, the aversion event, which let's say is vomiting in a case like this, uh, you know, dogs that eat grass, for example, this, dogs really eat grass because they know it's going to make them vomit. I don't think so. I think they eat grass because they do like the taste. It's sweet. All right, kids, we used to chew on some really good grass. It's got chlorophyll. It's got a good taste. It might soothe their stomach, but they don't know that half hour, an hour later, they're going to vomit up the grass. So they will keep eating it because the event at the time they ate it was not an aversion type thing. They kind of liked it. So they'll go back and do it again. And so when the negative event happens within, let's say, seven to 10 minutes, they probably will make the association. If it's longer than that, but they like what they ate when they ate it, they're going to do it again. So just keep that in mind when you, you have these dogs that you know have shown you, have proven to you that they will eat anything. Again, that's not bolted down. Or in the case of my dogs, it doesn't eat them first. Then you want to go ahead and uh, you know, sort of baby-proof, dog-proof your room, but they will eat it again. So if I were this dog's mom or dad, I would take all the Gorilla Glue and put it in a really safe place and probably everything else around the house too, because obviously this dog really doesn't care much about what he eats. This was cool. At an Oklahoma, the Oklahoma City Zoo, a Western Lowland gorilla had surgery to repair a hernia, but not just any surgery. They, it was the first time they used robotic surgery, robotic assisted surgery, they said. And it's amazing. They're, they're doing this in people now. So obviously it goes to follow that they were going to do it in animals at some point too. Even like laparoscopic surgery, they're doing laparoscopic spays and, and they're using a laparoscope for joint surgery now in dogs. And it used to be that the joint was so small. Now they've mastered this. And I personally have not done a spay using a laparoscope. I, I, I would probably love to do it. It's a learning curve. It's expensive. And sort of at my point in the career, you know, I'm leaving well enough alone. I'm very, very happy with the way I do my surgeries. But still, I think in the future, we're going to see a lot more of that. And speaking of zoos, apparently they're in the news. Kansas City Zoo, two MD, medical doctor, obstetricians, two women were called in. Now, they've been working with the zoo for five years and have never been called in with a, for a difficult birth issue. But they were called in and they did a C-section on a 36-year-old Sumatran orangutan. And um, everything went really smoothly. One of them commented that this is certainly an experience that's from my bucket list, but an experience that I never even put on my bucket list. So she was uh, actually, you know, pretty excited. That's some. That's. Can you imagine when you know the doctors get together and they're kind of talking about their cases? And this one, the medical doctor, an MD, she goes, "Well, I, I did a C-section on an orangutan." So um, that's pretty cool. So mom and baby are doing fine, and uh, that's a fun story. I'm going to save number four for last because it's more of a science thing. And I want to talk in depth about it because it's uh, something that we see a lot of and many of you may not know about it. So I really want to make sure you do. This was a great story, this one. A three-year-old pit bull cross that was seized along with 30 other dogs from a dog fighting uh, operation in Ontario is now, this is great, a now a narcotics police dog in Virginia. It's in, I think it's Honaker, Virginia. The dog was seized, socialized through a program. This is really good. It's called the Pit Sisters Program. What they do is they match dogs with prison inmates. So they then they started training the dog through another organization, a lot of organizations here, that is a, it's called Throwaway Dogs Project. And they realized that this dog, A, was very amenable to being trained, and B, 
was a very talented. And we know that dogs' noses are unbelievable. So the dog was so well socialized that they trained it to be a narcotics dog, picked up by Hanukkah, Virginia Police Department. And now this three-year-old pit that was used for fighting could have been severely injured or killed at one point and now is working with a police department. So that's really, really cool. So this one that I wanted to talk about, and I mean, to go just to show you the, the changes that we've gone through in the medical world with this condition. When I graduated vet school a long time ago, 34 years ago, and we knew very little about this condition. And in fact, we had a, we would see these old cats that had very fast heart rates that would have very elevated liver enzymes. And we, we always used to say, ah, oh, it's an old cat. It's got a bad heart, probably cardiomyopathy. It's got some heart function disorder. And on top of that, liver disease. And we were treating unsuccessfully for these two separate diseases. Typically, when we have animals that present with multiple organ function disorders, we try to look for the one disease that can affect everything versus having two or three diseases going on at the same time. So we have since learned, and I, early in my career, that there is a condition called feline hyperthyroidism. Very tough to pick up on a physical exam, though sometimes we're lucky and we can feel in the neck, we can feel like a thyroid nodule. And the biggest effects of hyperthyroidism in cats, these old cats, are appetite, great appetite, but with weight loss, elevated heartbeat rate, elevated liver enzymes. And it was like that aha moment. Ah, we do have the one disease that can affect all of these things. So back then, there was a medication that we used to use and methimazole, and I don't love it. And the best treatment of choice, of course, was surgery. So back then, um, I was doing thyroid surgery on these cats. And the trick was that we had to remove the thyroid gland and try to preserve the parathyroid gland. Not that it was the end of the world if you couldn't, because you can always supplement both, but it was a tricky surgery, very successful when done properly. In fact, I remember my first case of doing a surgery for a hyperthyroid cat was a 17-year-old cat. Now, back then, are we nuts? We're going to anesthetize a 17-year-old cat for surgery? Yes, we are. <laughs> we are that nuts. We did the surgery, extremely successful. This cat lived to 19, and, uh, 19 years and three months. It was amazing. And um, so we would do that and we would, again, preserve. And then what we'd have to do is because we remove the thyroid is put them on thyroid supplementation for the rest of their lives. Now, of course, we have the access to radioactive iodine treatment, which is phenomenal. We have to send them to a special facility. They have to be licensed by state because these cats are radioactive after treatment for, for you know, a while. You have to separate them when you bring them home. You have to either save their litter or use a flushable litter. But it's all worth it. Why? Because the treatment preserves the parathyroid preserves the normal part of the thyroid gland. So you don't have to supplement in most cases. And it's a complete cure. Anyway, just know if you have a cat, older cat, usually nine or above, when the senior annual blood test is being done, you want to make sure that the doctors are doing a T4, which is a regular thyroid test, but also a free T4 by equilibrium dialysis. We call it a free T4 by ED. You can also do another test called the TSH test and see if there's a lot of stimulating hormone, if there's normal, but the thyroid's high. That kind of tells you that the thyroid is, it's not listening to the thyroid stimulating hormone. It's doing its own thing and therefore it's elevated because of a thyroid problem. But the best test is the T4 matched with a free T4 by ED to get your diagnosis. And then you go in for a scan, a thyroid scan, which will confirm hopefully. And then if the scan is there, 
the doctor, the, the specialist will go ahead and treat accordingly. Anyway, when we come back, we're going to you know, kind of talk about some other surgery stuff, some medical stuff that I've been seeing. And it's about toxicities. And uh, boy, it's uh, we're seeing a lot of stuff now. And I'll tell you why. So don't go away. Learn about what's out there. We'll be back after these short messages. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Put on a perfectly possum pet party. Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged friend? Or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park? Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit Pet Party Accessories, party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photoprop kits include funny glasses and hats. The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations, and treat bowls, cups, and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram-worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes, Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite is nutrition. Pick up two bottles of Lico Chops. Get the third bottle free. New improved Lico Chops with omega-3, omega-6, vitamin E. And now, six extra direct-fed microbials. Even better for the digestive tract and immune system. Try Lico Chops. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Pets with Dr. Jeff. Before the break, I mentioned that I wanted to talk about something that I'm seeing a lot of lately and how to kind of differentiate from an educational standpoint for you as pet parents, how to have your veterinarian at least approach a case and why. And um, so what I've been seeing a lot of um, is uh, toxicity. You know, you know, we've talked about specific toxins over the years. We've talked about, you know, obviously the, the poisonous plants and things like xylitol and chocolate and, you know, things that are actually, of course, harsh chemicals that are toxic to pets. How do you, how do you even know when you have a toxicity that it's a toxicity and not something else? So the first thing, as I tell people, is the history. And again, you know, one of the elements of what we do and how we diagnose and treat that is probably one of the most important things is the history. And it's something that a lot of vets are, are sort of pass over. They're right away trying to start treating the symptoms and not finding out, wait, wait a second, before you start treating or doing your testing, why don't you find out what the possibilities are here? So when you have a an animal that comes in, and let's let's use for for example, a because most present uh, there are some neurotoxins, there are gastrointestinal toxins, there are many that do both. And the most important thing about a toxin is that when you, for example, if you have a dog who was fine last night, okay, and then in the morning he's limping, okay, now. What's the likelihood that there's a process going on in the bone or in a joint, like, for example, a cancer even, that literally overnight went from perfect to a problem? And the answer is highly improbable. So obviously, during the night, there was some event, something that dog did that 
you know, caused him to limp in the morning? Could he have charged down the stairs and twisted a foot? Could he have been lying on it a long time? It was just like maybe sleeping. Could he have jumped off the bed and landed funny? And that would be more likely. So when you have an acute, which means a sudden onset of anything, any abnormality, you have to say, ah, there was some event that happened to cause this. So when a dog presents out of the blue with either severe vomiting and diarrhea, and it was totally fine the night before, or that morning was fine, went out for a walk, ate breakfast and everything was fine. But all of a sudden, four hours later, puking guts out, diarrhea, etc. So again, could there be many other problems, things that cause yeah, pancreatitis, for example, many things that can cause vomiting. But when it happens suddenly, you need to think of an event, something that happened. Well, we, I've gotten a couple of cases lately with that history exactly. Severe ADR, ain't doing right. Vomiting, just weak, depressed attitude. So of course, I'm thinking of, I mean, I say, so when did this start? I said, like it started like almost fine. Immediately, we were fine this morning. Went out for a few hours for breakfast. We came back and there's what's going on. So my first thought is, what did the dog get a hold of? You got a hold of something. The diseases, uh, liver disease, they don't just start from zero to 100 miles an hour immediately. They ramp up. They ramp up. So what I'm seeing around in our neighborhood, and it's not even our neighborhood. It's I'm from what I'm talking to clients. It's everywhere. We're seeing a lot of wild mushrooms. And we walk, take the dogs for a walk, and you see on people's lawns, these huge, and they are growing so fast. And most of these wild mushrooms are potentially, I would say most are poisonous. Now, they may not be deadly, but certainly toxic, irritant. So, I mean, there was a story a couple of, about a year ago, actually, of a family visiting here from another country. They were going into the the Santa Monica Mountains, whatever, and they found these wild mushrooms and they cooked them to eat them. And it killed all four of them, the parents and two kids. I mean, it could be very, very dangerous. So as an example, if you see anything like that, uh, you want to remove. If you see a, a dead rodent, for example, and you have a cat or a dog, uh, like a rat or a rat terrier or a, a toy fox or you know a, a Jack Russell that known to people get them because they're ratters, be very careful because if that rat was killed because of a rat poison and then the dog can ingest the poison through the rat. And um, again, I, I had a case like that. I did a spay. Of course, it was a friend's dog. It's all the you know, crap that happens, stuff like this. It's a, someone you know. And um, the dog kept bleeding. I mean, remarkably bleeding way more than it should have. And uh, I was really worried. And I'm watching this. I continue to bleed. So I said, maybe a ligature slipped, which means that, you know, when we ligated the, one of the vessels. So we go back in, we check our ligatures. Everyone was fine. So I call the owner to say, God, this is really weird, but she is continuing to bleed and everything is fine on the inside. It, I, I, I joked, I said, if I didn't know any better, I would think she got a hold of rat poison. He goes, rat poison? I said, yeah, you know, rat poison is an anticoagulant and the rats get it. And he goes, Jeff, I didn't think to tell you that. I think it was important. But about two days ago, she came into the house with a dead rat in her mouth. I said, oh, okay, now I get it. She's not that quick and fast that she got the rat. She probably picked up a dead or dying rat. She got the and She got the chemical in her and that explained the bleeding. We started her on something called vitamin K. P.S. Everything went beautifully. But you always, when you're trying to get a history on things like this, you have to ask around. When I was talking to a friend of mine who's a certified, uh, I gave him the scenario. He was a board certified internal medicine specialist. I gave him a scenario. I said, look, we have a, a dog came in, was fine in the morning. Several hours later, said he goes, the first thing, the first thing we thought of is, is a toxin. What do you get a hold of? 
And we were going down and I, his first thought was xylitol. And we've talked about that. Xylitol, it's the sweetening agent that has two effects, really. One is it causes severe. Well, first is it's the irritant. So we get vomiting and diarrhea. But then uh, as if more is ingested, because it's a sugar substitute, it tricks the body into thinking that there is plenty of sugar on board, but it doesn't count. So therefore, it stops insulin, stops from the cells, and these dogs become hypoglycemic because there's no reason for the body to keep the sugar because, because it's got plenty there. Well, guess what? It doesn't have plenty there. So hypoglycemia is you know one of the symptoms, and it's very, very dangerous. But the mushrooms, I told him what's going on, and he said, oh, absolutely. And again, not all of them are deadly poisonous, but wild mushrooms. If you see mushrooms that didn't come from the shelf in that market, like Portini or Cremini or or you know um, Portabella or you name the mushrooms that we all know, then you want to make sure to keep you keep away from them, keep your pets away from them as well. Potentially dangerous. So anytime there is an acute onset of any any abnormality, whether it's as I said a gastrointestinal problem, whether it's a, a musculoskeletal problem, something that started immediately, then for sure you want to think about what could have happened. Don't let the doctor start testing for everything in sight because they have no idea. Because just by that thorough history, just by the way the pet is presenting, you can rule out many things right there. So uh, that's all we have time for today. Uh, Want to uh, wish everybody a great week. If you have any subject that you would like to learn more about, talk about something that maybe you're going through with one of your pets, would like a little bit more exp- uh, explanation. Maybe you just want to see, you know, look, I know veterinary care is very expensive. Maybe you just want to see... Um, is my veterinarian handling it the, an appropriate way? I'm not going to say right or wrong. There is sometimes there, well, yes, there are rights and wrongs, but uh, there's a lot of gray and a lot left up to the doctor's own discretion. And, you know, set many things, whether not everyone might do, but it's not unreasonable to do if your doctor does it. So I'll kind of help you sift through that. Um, you know, fortunately, most of us do the right thing, try to do the right thing. I think, you know, a big difference in many is experience. As I always say, you can have a very smart doctor. If you have a very smart young doctor, uh, he has the knowledge or she has the knowledge. But without experience, they can't have wisdom. And wisdom is a combination of knowledge and experience. With one without the other, you're, you're toast. So if you want to work with someone who has wisdom, not only do they need to have the knowledge, but they also have to have a lot of experience and they can, you know, sort of sift through things much more quickly, eliminate unnecessary tests just because they are, they are wise. What can I tell you? So anyway, um, once again, you can reach me, drjeff at petliferadio.com. Always join us live here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff Sunday mornings or afternoons, depending on where you live. Um, and uh, you could send me an email anytime. And we'd love to have you join us on our Google Hangouts link. And um, have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week. Once again, thanks to our sponsors. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.